CNN. Radio. Welcome to CNN Profiles. I'm your host, Michael Schulder. This is our pre-Valentine's Day special with author Amy Webb, who has just written a book called Data, a Love Story, How I Gamed Online Dating to Meet My Match. Amy, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So so let me ask you this. First of all, so, so you have gone through the world of online dating. You have basically reverse engineered, in a sense, uh, and found the essence of what it takes to find your match online. I just want to ask you one insider's question, since you're so familiar with this. When I log on to my Yahoo email almost every day, something from one of these dating services comes on. I have never used it. The same women appear, and there's one woman in particular, beautiful woman, and it says available. I've never clicked it on. It's that she's been available for seven months on my email. So now, is she is she a shill? Is she just somebody trying to draw me in, and then she's not going to be available? I have no interest because I'm happily married. But how does this thing work? Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, the way that things uh, advertisements wind up in free email services like Yahoo and and Hotmail and and Gmail are through code snippets and observing behaviors online. My sense is that she's probably just part of an advertisement and not uh, that she's not actually available. Um, these these online sites, they promise algorithmic matching. And so they lure you in with the promise of these people who not only look great and sound great, but according to the algorithms on these websites, um, you know, match your profile and what it is that you're looking for exactly. And And the reason that I started online dating was because I was having bad luck in the real world. And to me, this seemed like a really efficient way to meet people quickly who, you know, in theory, at least, would be people that I'd like automatically. And the issue with these algorithmic-based matching sites is that they rely on user-generated information. So, you know, most of us enter information into just about anything, whether it's an online dating site or Facebook, aspirationally. You know, the analogy that I like to use is that uh, I have friends who say that they're not smokers, but they smoke when they drink. And I would call that person a smoker, but the way that they fill out their profile, they'll, they'll click on the non-smoking button. Because we, we have a difficult time answering these questions objectively, we're putting bad data into these systems. And as a result, the algorithms are matching our bad data with other people's bad data. And it's impossible, therefore, to... to really get a good match on the other end. At the beginning, I was being set up with Orthodox rabbis, people who had nothing at all to do with what I thought was interesting in life, people who had nothing at all to do with me besides the fact that we lived in the same zip code. And and that's uh, a challenge, you know, when you're hoping and praying that after spending all of this time with these, these websites, that on the other end of it, you're going to find your soulmate. So how did you cut through the bad information and, and get a reality check and did it start with you or did it start with trying to figure out the other people, the, the men, and whether they were being honest? So, I, I, you know, I sort of had this, this wonderful date that um, wound up being a really bad date. And that night I went home and I talked to my sister and, and through a long conversation, she mentioned Mary Poppins and said, you know, it's not that the kids couldn't get a nanny. They just didn't have a nanny that they wanted. So maybe you need to make a Mary Poppins list. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. So I set about making a giant list of everything I could possibly want in a husband. And I had 72 different data points. 
um, which even I knew was probably too many. So I went back and I parsed that list and I assigned different um, scores and numerical values to each one of the different traits um, and wound up with a, a top tier of 10 and a, and a bottom tier of 15 with then a scoring system. So basically, I would refuse to go out with anybody unless they met a, a minimum threshold of points in the scoring system that I'd built. Anyhow, sort of fast forward, I, I applied that new system rather than waiting for the algorithms to match me. And immediately I found somebody who was great. Um, he looked very good. We seem to have things in common, but but in a, on a much more granular level. And I decided to take a break, and I went to the bathroom. And as I was washing my hands, I looked at myself in the mirror and had a horrifying thought. And then I went back and looked at my profile, which I had filled out in a hurry. I found the whole process to be annoying, so I just copied and pasted stuff in my resume originally. And when I sp put all this together, I thought, this guy's going to laugh at me. Like, not only is he not going to want to go out with me, but I am the kind of person that he's now going to like copy and paste and send to his friends. And they're all going to have a really great laugh about how this like ridiculous woman uh, wants to go out with him. And I, as a result of that, wanted to see who my competition was. Uh, you know, if I went into a party or work or a bar somewhere else where I might meet somebody, I would maybe identify the person who was interesting, but I would always look around to see who else was there. And I felt like I wanted to do the same thing online. So I, I logged in as a man, created a very basic profile. And uh, I want to stop there. I want to stop there so the sure. audience doesn't miss that line. You logged in as a man. Okay. Well, I created, yeah, I created a basic um, profile and logged in as a man for the sole purpose of seeing who, who are the, who, who's the competition? Who are the other people on the site? And immediately I saw all of the, the places where I'd gone horribly, horribly wrong from photos to what I had listed as, you know, in my about me section to how I described the way that I looked. How, how did you figure that out? I don't understand. <laughs> well, as a starting point, um, under the things that I can't live without, because I had copied and pasted from my resume, I listed things like HTML and JavaScript and <laughs> Japanese uh, compared to what the other women had put down, which was closer to like sunny days and, you know, Friday nights spent in relaxing with a nice glass of wine. Uh, I mean, I, I looked ridiculous. Um, the, the photos of me, all of the photos were terrible that I owned. So basically, I, I quickly went through and picked out the three least bad ones that I could find. But even those, there's a photo of me standing next to, I went to Columbia University, and there's an alma mater statue. statue. It's like a photo taken really far away. The wind was blowing. I had hair stuck to my, the lip gloss that I had on. Um, the statue was slightly smaller than me, so somehow I, it actually made me look really fat. <laughs> Um, there was a picture of me with a family, my, our family dog kind of halfway covering my face, so it was not entirely clear whether that was a dog or me wearing some strange-looking fur. I mean, it was just all, it was just wrong in like every conceivable possible way. And I'm somebody who, who works in digital strategy for a living. <laughs> so adding insult to all of this injury was the fact that not only, not only did I know that I just created a, a monstrosity, but had I have been my own client, like I would have fired me immediately. Because, because let me ask you, the pictures, and I saw you, you put them in your book, those pictures. And you know, if this were the, the fairy tale story, it's, you know, the, those photos that did not show you in the best light, the, the man who was really meant for you would have seen beyond that. And before you knew it, you would have been glowing in your next pictures because he would have recognized the real you. 
you didn't want to count yeah, except on that. that's but that's not the way things work so if you think of online dating websites more like catalogs because that's really what they are the, the dating part of online dating doesn't happen online it, it happens in the real world so these websites are really just digital catalogs and you have to think in terms of the sites as searchable digital catalogs and yourself as a product that you are trying to market so if i were to go to you know zappos right where i oftentimes buy shoes you know if i saw a pair of shoes that uh, seemed to be right for me but there was weird lighting or they 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 weren't displayed properly i was probably going to go on to the next pair of shoes that were my second choice because they look slightly better so you know, the, the photos that I wound up using on, on the profile that I posted at the end of this process, you know, I certainly look that, like that when I make an effort, but I don't make an effort seven days a week. Um, and so, and you, you know. say in one of your chapter titles, you know, I am not Cameron Diaz. And uh, I guess there, there's a sense that there's so little we can trust online. So you've got to be honest, right? Because people will eventually find out if you're not honest, maybe too late, but you want to show yourself in the best light. So you narrowed down your list. What was that tipping point? Do you want to read the list to us? Um, no, I don't want to read the list. Um, uh, what was the tipping point? So I, so I had this, this list. Um, I saw what my competition was, and I knew that I had to figure out a way to, you know, make, to, to market my product better, my product being me in the world of these online catalogs. So, um, you know, I, I spent some time observing the behaviors of the popular women on on the site. Um, I wanted to see, you know, it, it wasn't about looks. You know, I, I look the way that I look. I'm I'm five six. I have extremely curly hair, and I'm not a stick figure. Um, and I I look very, you know, I have a very particular look. None of that's going to change, and I'm certainly never going to wake up and look like Cameron Diaz. But but that said, you know, what can I do to make myself more competitive? Um, which is really not unlike looking at a digital property or a, or a television show or, you know, whatever, and trying to figure out how to market it um, and position it better so that it, tra- it attracts not just the widest possible audience, but the best audience, right? Um, so that meant changing the photos, changing the way that I, I discussed things. People who were successful with their profiles and popular used aspirational language. They weren't complicated. The way that they talked about themselves, you could almost envision yourself sort of inserting yourself um, into the perfect day that they were describing. You know, so, so those were the, some of the things that I, I learned. You know, it, it was about looking better and about empowering myself to, to market myself more wisely. Men do that pretty naturally. Um, a lot of them, they have no problem, you know, sort of being honest. And if anything, they tend to inflate their own descriptions. You know, women do the opposite. They, uh, they feel self-conscious. They don't want to write positively and, you know, aggressively, positively about themselves. Um, and, and that was a great lesson for me to learn. So we're listening to CNN Profiles, uh, author Amy Webb, who has just written Data, a love story. Uh, how important was, uh, I happen to be Jewish, you are too, uh, mm-hmm. and you did have some... Well, ex- I, I say that I'm Jewish. <laughs> uh, oh. Which is... I hear you. Where I'm not, yeah, I'm not, you know, religious. But, um, but Jew ish enough to have gone on J-Date, right? Yeah, and I guess that's another really, imp- so that, that's a great point. Uh, you know, we're told that it's important, the most important thing is to align with a future partner on these big issues like finances and religion. The issue is that on J-Date at the time, you know, there were a few different choices, reform, conservative, orthodox, conservadox. 
the the problem is that you know I I wanted the um, the cultural feeling, the inside jokes to to be understood. I wanted to find somebody who had that shared institutional knowledge and those shared experiences of hating Hebrew school and, you know, having to write 80 million thank yous for Mira Bat Mitzvah. I wanted all that, but I, I don't want to go to shul. Um, and I'm, I'm not really a believer. So I, I never, ever wanted to have that argument. I never wanted it to come up. I just wanted to find somebody who aligned with me perfectly. And that's important because you know, human beings are really nuanced. And one of the challenges with algorithmic-based dating is that an algorithm can't parse for my version of Judaism versus yours and, you know, somebody else's. But the kind of Judaism you describe in yourself, that's what Jewish guys really want. Because have you ever heard the old story about the guy who brings home the woman to his mother and she's not Jewish? And the mother says, you know, I, I really want you to marry a Jewish woman. He says, it's okay, mom. She's converting to Judaism. She says, she says I don't care. I think you should marry a Jewish woman. She says, she will be Jewish. So anyway, the wedding goes on. And this woman, as, as most converts, converts really become passionate about what they're yeah. converting to. And this, this, his wife converts to Judaism, picks up you know, all the traditions, it's almost, and he's, he's, it's like he's living with a woman in the Old Testament. She's strictly kosher. She won't let him eat any shrimp outside the house. He goes to his mother. He says, Mom, she's driving me crazy. They say, she's always dressing modestly. She keeps kosher. I, ca I can't live. His mother says, I told you to marry a Jewish girl. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it sounds like that's, you, that's you're great. the kind of Jewish girl that mother was urging him to marry, right? You know, I'd like to think that I was the Jewish woman of every Jewish mother's dreams for their sons, but um, but uh, I was not popular uh, in high school, and and you know, I had plenty of I had plenty of guys to go out with. They just they were all you know they were mediocre or terrible. Um, and and the really funny thing is that in between the breakup and going online, um, my friends and family took pity on me and tried to set me up. My mother. There was this guy who worked in the produce department at our local grocery store. And my mother, every time I talked to her, kept saying, you know, Jerry's a nice guy. You should, you know, he's free. Go out with him a few times. See what happens. Um, you know, I'm not going to go out with Jerry the produce guy at our local grocery store <laughs> for many, many reasons. And uh, the, the people that I kept getting set up with um, were, were increasingly bad. And, and I thought, you know... These are the people who know me the best, which means that I have a very inflated opinion of myself <laughs> because <laughs> because um, because I would never set myself up with these people. Uh, so, and, uh, so then ta so then take us. So, so you're you're on this journey online and give us sort of like how many false starts were there before your algorithm proved to be the magic formula? So. You know, I made my giant list of 72 attributes. I parsed it. I came up with a formula. Um, I came up with a super profile, which was, you know, optimizing myself to attract the widest possible number of men um, so that I could effectively treat, in this case, JDate as just a searchable database. And immediately I was extremely popular. Um, I had lots of people wanting to go out with me. I told my sister. I told my mom. I told my dad. Um, and they were like, great go out Friday night. And I said, no, you know, nobody's crossed the minimum threshold. And I refused to go out with anybody, which was driving everybody around me crazy. 
Um, and several weeks went by, and I a few times thought maybe this was ridiculous and maybe I'd made a mistake, but I decided to stick with it. Um, and not too long after that, I met uh, I met this guy who had a really funny profile, had great photos. What was funny and, about uh, his profile? Because you said it's it's hard. <laughs> to get humor to translate online. What was right. funny about his profile? And so this is a this is a great sort of emblematic version of that. Uh, so he listed for his job Arctic baby seal hunter, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Uh, and I and then the part of the profile description talked about how, you know, it's difficult for him to get away. There's not a lot of direct flights between the Arctic and Baltimore uh, where he was living. <laughs> And uh, it was really, really funny, but I all, but you know, that got misinterpreted by a lot of women, and he wound up getting. I found out later he got a lot of hate mail, and um, one person. It wasn't a, like a death threat, but it was one person who was really like, "I'm going to tell Peta about you. I've like copied your profile. I'm going to. They're going to find you. You can't do this." Uh, so it's you know you have to be careful. But for me, between the photo, he looked great. He happened to take the photos in places in Hong Kong and Japan where I actually used to live. And I thought, how crazy is it that, you know, this person is standing in places that I know intimately well. Um, and he had a hilarious profile and um, and that was it. And we, but we didn't go out right away. Um, and I think that's another really interesting thing that I, I sort of learned in, in this entire process. You know, being online and in the digital space, we are as part of our everyday lives, accelerated. Um, I'm in the middle of reading a biography about um, Ben Franklin, a Walter Isaacson biography, which I love. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at, at this person who was incredibly productive, um, but, you know, it might take a month for Ben Franklin to write a letter, work on a project, get some kind of response back. You know, if he was living today, you know, the, these exchanges would have taken seconds um, or less. Just because we're online doesn't mean that we should lose facult our faculty, right? We, we shouldn't lose perspective um, and throw away what is the normal course of falling in love. It seems counterintuitive, but if you, if you sort of think about our normal course of behavior, even the most popular people on the planet are not meeting and going out with 12 new people in a week, every single week. And yet that's what happens with online dating sites. So given the sense of urgency of the math you were doing that you described earlier, having hit 30, having f failed relationship. So given that sense of urgency and yet the necessity to be patient, how do you balance those two things? Tell us how you balanced it in this case. You know, I, I knew based on experience and based on just some of the, the behaviors that I had observed that there was really no need to rush into a relationship. The part of the process that could become efficient was the shopping through the catalog part, right? That that's the real benefit to online data, you know, online dating. But again, the dating part happens in the real world. And I had fallen head over heels, you know, for people in the past and jumped too quickly into relationships. And it, it was always a bad mistake because I hadn't had enough time to vet that person and make sure that they were going to be the right person for me. That takes time. Um, so you know, this time around, I I had gone this far you know, why not complete the process? And so I, I, I was very deliberate and I took a lot of time and I slowed things down. And, the, you know, the person on the other end of the story, um, I think, was in the same mindset. And he also was, you know, not interested in going super fast. Uh, and I think that's part of why this whole thing worked.
And when you met him for the first time, did Brian, the Arctic baby seal hunter, make you laugh? Well, eventually, <laughs> when we met the first time, um, you know, by this time, I, by this point, I'd done a background check on him. I'd looked up photos. I, I sort of knew that unless there was something that I'd missed, that he was the genuine article. So we decided to meet at uh, the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. There was a exhibit, uh, the Body Worlds exhibit, and I thought, I, I thought that if our conversation ever um, started to dry up, I could always ask him an anatomical question. He's an eye doctor, so I figured it would give us something to talk about. Uh, it was an incredibly warm day for the fall, and I had decided to walk there. And I guess another key component of this story is that I have panic disorder, um, for which I don't take medication. I probably should. Uh, anyhow, so it's hot. Uh, I'm very nervous. I trip up this flight of stairs where he's standing at the top of. Um, and by the time that we get inside, where it's very crowded, um, I am now sweating so profusely from my from my ears, the bottoms of my feet were sweaty. It was sweat everywhere. I couldn't stop it. And that started making me feel um, sort of panicky. And then I started to panic about the fact that I was feeling panicky. And um, I started having a, a full-fledged panic attack within five minutes of seeing this person who I was you know, really enamored of in person. Um, I managed to finally calm myself down. We get into the exhibit and it's where it's very hot also. And now we are surrounded by dead bodies in motion. And uh, <laughs> I look at Brian. We get to one of, I won't describe it, but um, it was an anatomically correct male, just put it that way, uh, that had been dissected in an unfortunate place. And uh, I look over at Brian, and he is completely white. He's pretty pale to begin with, but, I mean, he lips, no color. Uh, he's now sweating and hyperventilating. So we go over to sit down. He's sort of sandwiched in between an elderly woman with an oxygen tank and a morbidly obese woman wearing a, a muumuu who's angry that he's now sitting next to her. Um, I don't know what's wrong. I'm trying to figure out if he's diabetic or if there's some <laughs> other problem. He was having a phase of it. He was having his own version of a panic attack. So pretty much for the most, the first three hours of our first date, uh, we were both having panic attacks. Um, but after that, uh, we made each other laugh a lot. And 14 hours later, um, he kissed me for the first time and, and, uh, and that was it. It was the last first date that I, I ever went on. I'm pausing now because I'm moved. Because that, that really <laughs> is a moving story. Um, <laughs> wow. So, and uh, I guess fast forward, uh, how many months, uh, how slowly did you take it before you decided, before you both decided this was it? We took it really slowly. Um, it was several dates before I told him about my mom, who was sick at the time, and and a big and that illness was a big component of my life. Um, and before I told him about the list, telling him about the list was nerve wracking because, um, well, it was just nerve wracking. And uh, once I did and, and I showed it to him, he again turned sort of white. And <laughs> I didn't know if it was a good thing that he was panicking or a bad thing. Um, it turned out to be a good thing. He he said, you know, it was a really strange experience looking at these pieces of paper and seeing myself described. Exactly. You know, and, you know, not only were you looking exactly for me, um, but I guess now I'm being graded all the time. Uh, so I, um, but I did. I was really honest about it. And I, I kept scoring him for the first uh, year and some change. Um, we moved in together. I moved down to Baltimore, scored him for another year. 
um, and we he proposed uh, in a far-flung trip to Petra, Jordan, and uh, we were married a year after that. But I, I, I mean, we really did take things slowly, and I think it was a, to our benefit. So I live my life very much through serendipity. When people say, you know, what's, what's your three-year plan? It's like a, that's like a foreign language to me. In a sense, when I started reading your book, I thought, well, you're, you're dismissing the, the possibility of serendipity. You're being very methodical. You're being mathematical. You've got an algorithm. And yet, as I hear this, there is a lot of serendipity here, isn't there? There is some serendipity. Um, you know, I, it, it makes my stomach hurt to think of... You know, had I have been, ha- had I have lived half a mile north of where I was living at the time, you know, Brian would never have shown up in the uh, the database search that I did, and it makes me ill to think about that. So, you know, I think that there is some serendipity. But again, if I was treating myself as a client or my situation as a client, or if I was just thinking logically, um, serendipity to me didn't seem like a good plan. You know, I I I wasn't willing to sit around and wait anymore, and you know, I'm smart and I think I'm a pretty good catch. So why don't I leverage my, you know, what I've got, which is my brain, um, to, to figure out the best possible pathway to me to find exactly what I'm looking for. And it worked. Amy Webb, author of Data, a love story, how I gamed online dating to meet my match. Thank you so much for joining us at CNN Profiles. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com slash soundwaves, or download us from iTunes, or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share.